There's a subject that God has dropped into my heart a while ago and been, um, been uh, scriptures along this line have just been standing out at me. That's kind of how he leads me. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. The beginning of what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. But that's not, and it is a Sermon on the Mount, but it's not really a sermon. And right before this, this is a very, you might want to write this down, right before Matthew 5 is Matthew 4. Now you won't hear that every place. All right. Matthew 4, Jesus has called his disciples, and it ends by him healing everywhere he goes, up in Galilee. And then Matthew chapter 5 begins by saying, Seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and he was seated, and his disciples came to him. Now, most of the movies I've seen of Jesus' life, he gives this Sermon on the Mount with thousands around him, but this is a meeting he had with the disciples. The disciples were not limited to just the twelve. There was a group of the twelve, there was a group of the seventy, and there were even others. He went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are you when men revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but is thrown thrown out, trampled underfoot by men." You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and give it light. To, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Then he goes on to launch into some other teachings. But I wanna, we're not going to talk about the Beatitudes, but there's an interesting thing I see in here which kind of sets the stage for what we're going to talk about. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not poor in pocketbook, poor in spirit. You don't have any money, you're not blessed. <laughs> poor in spirit, that means humble. That means not trying to promote themselves. That means teachable. That means, that means meek. Jesus said later on, he says in chapter, uh, in, in, in chapter uh, 11, he says, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, for I am meek and humble of spirit. Some translations say poor of spirit. He wasn't poor in the sense that he was missing things. He was humble. He was meek. He wasn't trying to advance himself. He wasn't trying to promote himself. And if anybody had a right to do it, he did. But he didn't exercise his rights for his benefit. He only did what was ever for his father's benefit. So he was, he's, but notice this, blessed are the poor in spirit. So there's a contrast in each one of these, these verses, at least the first few. Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you have a humble spirit where you're not trying to advance your own kingdom and advance your own self and promote yourself, God's going to give you his kingdom and he's going to promote you. Verse 4 says, talks about what, the first part of the verse talks about what we go through here. And the second part talks about what God does for you there. 
Blessed are, the, blessed are the, those who mourn. That means mourn in life. You're going through situations that are mourning and you're suffering and you're going through difficult times. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Next one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're hungering and thirsting for something because it says they'll be full. Blessed are the merciful, because you're going to get mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. That means undistracted, undefiled. Your heart seeking, first of all, for God. For they shall see God. Notice it's the merciful that see God. There are a lot of people that think they see God, but they're not dispensing mercy. And since God is a merciful God, if you see Him, you'll know His ways. We've talked about that a little bit on Sunday. Blessed are the, uh, for nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Ble- now, this is where I want to get to. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world isn't going in a very good direction. I don't know if you've noticed, and I, I know you have, that, that, that things in the world do not look like they're getting better, they look like they're getting worse. And there are teachers out there that will tell you that, 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 that what's going to happen is the church is going to come into its final stage when it takes over everything. And it's going to take control of everything. I don't find that in the New Testament. I find Jesus talking about, in the latter days, make sure you've got things in order because things are not going to get better, they're going to get worse. Now, not for the church necessarily, in the world. And he's talking here about that in times that you're going to face persecution. Now, we have lived in a time in the United States, by and large, where the church has not been persecuted. We live in a time and have lived in a time, really up until the last 10, 15 years, where the church was looked up to, not always justifiably so. But we were at least respected now we live in a time and it's at an accelerating rate and even in the last year things that the church stands for that are biblical now not only are they not re- you know is it not recognized everybody that stood for the things that the righteousness in the bible it's just caving in all around us and that means the only ones that are going to be left standing for it is the church how do we handle that how do we handle when when when, when, when the world around us is just getting worse faster and faster and faster. Well, I found three ways that are possible way to handle this. Two of them are kind of based on, on myths and the other is based on a reality. There's the ostrich approach. I always, you know, heard, you know, what an ostrich does when they're threatened? They dig their, hand, their head in a hole in the ground in the sand. I looked that up. That's not true. That's a myth. So that way of handling things is not based on truth. Even the ostriches are smart enough to not do that. But many Christians do. So we see the news out there and we see what's happening and we just want to kind of hide in the church and pretend nothing's happening and everything's going to be okay. It's not okay out there. And the not okay part's getting closer and closer to us. So the, one of the wrong approaches is to stick your head in the ground or, or just, you know, pretend it's not happening out there. It's happening out there. The other approach, which is based on a children's story, is the Chicken Little approach. I decided to look up Chicken Little. 
Now, you, you know, I, I don't teach Chicken Little in nursery stories often, but this was interesting. So I may spend a moment, I'm going to read it to you because it's very informative. Because I was your Chicken Little, the sky's falling in. You remember the story? Chicken Little likes to walk around in the woods and he likes to look at the trees. She smell, she likes to smell, I didn't know it was a woman, a girl. She, she likes to smell the flowers. She likes to listen to the birds singing. She likes things pleasant and happy around her. Nothing wrong with that. One day while she was walking, an acorn falls from a tree and hits the top of her little head. My, oh my, the sky is falling. I must run and tell the lion about it, says Chicken Little, and begins to run. She runs and runs, and by and by she meets a hen. Where are you going? asked the hen. Oh, Henny Penny, the sky is falling, and I'm going to to tell the lion about it. Well, how do you know it? asked Henny Penny. It hit me on the head, so I know it must be so, said Chicken Little. Let me, let me go with you, said Henny Penny. Run, run. So the two run and run. This is like people in a church getting together. So the two run and run until they meet Ducky Lucky. You may have met Ducky Lucky here sometime tonight. The sky is falling, said Henny Penny. How are you going? Now notice Chicken Little's told Henny Penny. Henny Penny's now going to tell Ducky Lucky. The sky is falling, says Henny Penny. We're going to tell the lion and tell him about it. How do you know that, says Ducky Lucky. Well, it hit Chicken Little on the head, said Henny Penny. May I come with you, says Ducky Lucky. Come, says Henny Penny. So all three of them run. Now they're forming their own little group. All three of them run on until they meet Foxy Loxy. They met Foxy Loxy in the foyer. Where are you going, says Foxy Loxy. The sky is falling. We're going to tell the lion about it, says Ducky Lucky. Notice it's gone down the chain of gossip. Do you know where he lives, asked the fox. I don't, says Chicken Little. I don't, says Henny Penny. I don't, says Ducky Lucky. I do, says Foxy Lucky. Come with me and I can show you the way. And he walks on until he comes to his den. Come right in, says Foxy Loxy. And they all go in, but they never ever come out again. Chicken Little panicked because she got hit on the head with an acorn and then ran ran around in that panic, spreading panic to others who were willing to follow their panic on their word of what happened. And the result is the panic as they opened themselves up to the devourer who came and devoured them. So the other way of handling what's going on in the world is for us to run around like Chicken Little. The sky is falling in. Everything's coming to an end. What are we going to do? We better start storing up supplies in our basement. That was a move in the church a few years ago. How many supplies are enough? And then if you get enough, what are you going to do when your neighbor doesn't have supplies? You're going to shoot them because they come near you? In love, of course. <laughs> All based on fear. And fear opens the door. Who was it? Foxy Loxy. Fear opens the door to Foxy Loxy. <laughs> And notice the fear made them vulnerable to being brought into his den. Fear is a weapon of Satan. This is not just a nursery story. It may be a nursery story, but it's very scriptural in many ways. 
Fear opens the door to Satan. It's a snare. So what do we do? If we don't stick our head in the sand and pretend it's not there, and we don't react with the world, maybe what we should do is what Jesus says to do. All right? And here's what he says to do. This is what we're going to begin to talk about. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, that's not the way the church tends to think. But we've just finished. I know we had a break with Pastor Michael speaking. We just had spent how many weeks on renewing the mind. And all of that was learning how to not think like the world thinks, but how to be transformed by learning to think the way God thinks in situations. So maybe now we're going to have a chance to apply what we've just spent umpteen weeks learning. So we've got the world out there that's going bad fast, and most of the way it's headed looks threatening to the church. How are we going to handle that? Ignoring it? No. Panicking and running around, the sky's falling in? No. Let's do what the Bible says to do about it. Think about it the way the Bible says to think about it. The first thing the Word of God says about the per when we're persecuted is blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll be very frank with you. That's not my first thought. When I read a report that someone else that used to stand for the principles that we stand for, the Bible stands for, has now caved in, my first thought is, oh, aren't we blessed? But then i got to go back. We learned this in Renewing the Mice. Yeah, but what does the Word of God say? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for standing up for what's right and for what's truth, God, Jesus says, you are blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, one of the things we make, mistakes the church makes, is we have our whole focus on the kingdom of this world. That this is all, I know we go to heaven someday, but what really is real to us is this world. No, heaven's far more real, far more eternal, far more blessed. Far, it's our home. We're not members of this world. We are on assignment here. And this is part of what we have to renew our mind to every day. Is I get up and I talk. I, I go over this in my prayer time initially with the Lord. This is not my home. Because if you think it's your home, you're going to try to hold on to it. And this is going to be your security. And by the way, this isn't the first time in history this kind of stuff has happened that's happening out there. When Jesus lived on the earth, things were far worse. When the apostles were preaching the gospel and the church was getting birthed, things were far worse. So we have a, there's a record in the Bible of not only how to handle it, but the results of handling it God's way. I know this isn't popular to hear, but it's the truth. It's preparing us, but it's leading somewhere, because this isn't the main focus of this series. It's just setting the, the foundation for why. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evils against you falsely, notice this, for my sake. Now, Peter goes on to explain, if they say things bad about you because 
you deserve to have things bad, said bad about you, that's, you're not going to get blessed for that. But if it's because you're standing up for Christ, it's because you're identified with Him, because you're standing up for what the Word of God says, then you are blessed in God's eyes because it's proof you're part of the kingdom of God. Verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. I put Chicken Little away here. Okay. So here's the answer I believe the Bible gives us. It's having your right perspective on your life and the purpose of your life every day. What your decision making is based on, what your value system is based on, what your life is, what your purpose of your life is. See, we're trained in the world to think that the purpose of my life is to be happy and secure and prosperous. And the problem is, if, if that's not happening, we get frustrated. Because frustration, disappointment, and discouragement is always caused by a gap between what you think you're entitled to and what you're experiencing. That difference, that gap, is the measure of your disappointment and frustration. So you've either got to change what you're experiencing and bring it up to what you expect, or you've got to find out whether what you expect is truth and realistic. Now I'm not talking about, you know, throwing your faith out and not believing God for things. I'm talking about having in our mindset, we're talking about, we talked about renewing the mind, the value system and the expectations of the world. A number of years ago I saw a bumper sticker and at the time I worked for a lawyer and this was his philosophy of life. Those that die with the most toys win. And he was trying to collect as many toys as, and his were expensive toys. And his whole life was correct collecting things. The problem is when he dies the things stay here. The purpose of the church in the world today and since Jesus birthed it is not primarily so we'll be happy. That's a benefit of doing what we're supposed to do, but that's the not the... If, if He really wanted you to be happy above everything else, He wouldn't have left you here. Because I got news for you, heaven's a lot happier than the most happy day you've ever had. If he just left us here to be secure and safe, it would have been much better to take us out of here because heaven's much safer and more secure than here. So somewhere he's decided when he called your life to be at this particular time, knowing what the world was going to be like at this time, in his evaluation process, he knew what the world was going to be like, and somehow God decided that with all the challenges in the world out there, it was worth to have you here now at this time, and me, and the church here at this time. Why? Because that's what he begins to get into in verse 13. You... The church, the believers, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, 
how shall it be seasoned again? It is good for nothing once it's lost its flavor, but it's thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. You, the church, the disciples, are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they take a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light show shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So let's talk tonight about salt and light. He's talking about the world as if it's food. And what's the purpose of salt? Well, one of the purposes of salt used to be to preserve things. But that's not primarily what he's talking about here. He's talking about the flavor that salt adds to food. But the first thing let's look about salt, where does the saltiness come from in salt? It comes from the nature of salt. Because it dawned on me, because what he says there, if salt loses its flavor, he's saying you can't go get some saltiness and sprinkle it on the salt granules, and now it's salty again. Because what makes the salty taste comes out of the nature of the salt itself. And there's a contrast here, just as there was in the first few verses. There's a contrast between the salt and the food. The idea here is that the food is bland. It's not a particularly appealing or appetizing. It's okay, but why do you put... Now, I don't use salt on food, so I accept certain things like corn on the... I don't want to get there. Corn on the cob. And there's some things I like salt on, some melons, but otherwise I'm not you know, a salt freak. But there are some things I like salt on. Why? Because it enhances the flavor of it. It makes it more appetizing. So there's a contrast here between the salt and the food itself. And the salt, the idea here is the salt is going to add something to the food to do something to it, to have an effect on it, to make it more appetizing, more appealing. Salt does something else. It also whets your appetite. It makes you want more. Now, here's the comparison. He's saying, you disciples are salt, and the world's food, bland food, tasteless, not that appetizing. And you have a purpose. The reason why you've been salted or sprinkled in the world is to add something to the world to make it hungrier and thirstier and to stimulate its appetite for something. And what does it is your nature. If you were to take salt that wasn't salty and you sprinkled it on your corn, on the cob or on your melon or whatever you sprinkle it on, you wouldn't tell any difference because the salt would be just like the food. Right? So the, the importance of the salt is that it's different than the food. 
We're going one step at a time. We're going somewhere. The whole purpose of the salt being sprinkled on the food is because the salt has a different taste to it than the food. And if it's added to the food, it changes the food to make it more appetizing. So salt's only going to do its job if it's different than the world, if it stands out in taste and flavor from the world. And he's saying if it ever loses that difference, it loses its purpose and effect. And we live in a time when the church has been wooed, especially in the United States, has been wooed by the, by, by, by the, by, to, to try to become more and more like the world. So that, that, that our instinct is to try to blend into the world. We've even brought into the church the ways of the world to do bid the, God, God's business. And not, I don't mean we can't learn things from them. But we're adopting the world's ways. And again, you can learn things from them as long as it doesn't make you like the world. People ought to be able to come into a church service and know they're in a church service that worships Jesus. They shouldn't have to sit through it and wonder, I don't know what this is. When they meet you or me, they shouldn't have any question of whether they've met a Christian or not. And not because of my t-shirt, or my tattoo, or my earrings, or whatever it is you may be wearing that has Jesus all over it, or the stickers on your car. There's an old saying, and I've somewhere read somewhere who said it, but it was a bishop years ago. Was talking to his his group, and he said, I've just come back from visiting the churches that I'm responsible for, and I've been reading the book of Acts, and I'm very concerned. He says, because I noticed that everywhere Paul went, there were riots. Wherever I go, they serve me tea. Now, it's fine to be accepted, but what he's saying is there ought to be some difference about us that stirs people up. Salt stirs things up. Ever, ever, have, a, ever have bit your lip and then you get some salt in there? Oh, you know it. So Jesus' point here is this. Disciples, there's a purpose for your life. And that's the answer to handling the times we're in. is to recognize and accept and begin to carry out the purpose of why he's put us here. A number of years ago, I had a boat. My son and I bought a boat together, an old boat. It was 20 years old when we bought it. And... Uh, one year I decided, you know what? We're going to rent a slip. You know, so it's already in the water. You have to put it in the water and take it out again. <laughs> we were talking about this the other day. So we put it in, I think it was early in the season. He's back there laughing. 
and we get in the boat together. Neither of us were very experienced. And it was in a river that was, had a very swift current, and the tide was going out also. And we bring it up to the slip, to line it up, and the slip we had to put it in was down, was down I don't know what they call it, Link. It was, like a, it was down an a, a lane that you then had to turn to go into it. And I bring the boat up there, and I turn, the, I turn it this way, and I'm lining it up like this. And because I'd never done it there before, I'm going to go slowly because I don't want to run the boat into something. By the time I got near it, I was halfway back down the stream again. So I bring it back around, and I bring it back up here, and I get, okay, we're going to try this again, line it up, and I move it forward slowly because I want to make sure I don't miss it. And as I did, by the time I'm way back downstream again. And then I began to realize the, it's not like a car. If you're not getting in the right parking space, you can just stop it. And then make sure you make your adjustment to get in. You stop a boat, and it keeps moving with the water. Not only that, the control for the boat... And that's not the right word, but the, way, the control over it is based on how fast the water's going past the rudder. So the slower I was going, the less control I had. Is that right? That was my experience at least. I have to be careful because I have some boaters in here. So what I'm point is this. I realized what I had to do to have enough control to navigate down that narrow opening was to go exactly against what my instinct was, was to go faster than I was comfortable. We're in a world now that's going very quickly downstream <laughs> with the tide going out. And if we don't do anything, if we just do what everybody else does, we're going to float downstream with everything else. That means in order to not just survive, but in order to do what we're supposed to do, we have to in some ways do the opposite of what it feels like we ought to be doing. So what the answer of the Word of God gives us is the answer to get through the difficult times. The answer to have victory in the difficult times is to take your place and do what you're here to do. Because that's where the gifting is, that's where the anointing is, that's where the grace is, is to do what you are here to do. And we're not here to be like the world. We're here to be different from the world. That doesn't mean weird. That doesn't mean strange. It means being like Christ. Jesus is talking to the disciples about why He's going to leave them here. He's going to leave them here to be a presence in their world around them that's obviously different than the rest of the people around. Because they're to have an impact on the world that's around them by what they're like, not what they have. I've heard people teaching even recently that the way the church is supposed to have an impact on the world is what we own. I don't see that in here. Because salt is not what you have, it's what you are. It's what you are. So the title of this series is Living the Separated Life. Something the church has lost sight of. And without understanding this, because the world is wooing us. The world is wooing us. Foxy Loxy 
is wooing us. So that we've lost all of our witness of why we're different. And I'm very concerned that we've got another generation that's followed after us that has no concept of the church being different, which is why the church doesn't mean more to them. And this is why in many ways the hope the church has is in the younger generation because they're much more inclined to see things as right and wrong, yes and no, not gradations. And as we get more mature, we've learned to blend things together. And there's times to do that, to balance things out. But this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. If the salt loses its flavor, it's lost its purpose. Because its purpose is to be different tasting than the food. Let's talk about the light. Because then he goes on to give another example. You are the light. Look at that. You. Say me. me. Say it again. Me. me. Jesus is talking to us. You are the light of the world. The UN's not the light of the world. CNN and Foxy News is not the light of the world. <laughs> Whoever the big commentators are, they're not the light of the world. You, the church, the world is getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. Instead of complaining about it and getting afraid of it, we have to realize that's why we're here. When you get up in the night and it's dark and you've got to find your way around, what do you do? You turn your lights on because you know the light's what's going to help you see in the darkness where you need to go, what the way is. The light also keeps you from bumping into things and getting hurt. And Jesus is saying, yes, it's getting darker. Yes, you're in a dark world. That's why you're here. Because the world is in darkness and it needs some light. And you are that light. You are the light of the world. Light is by nature different than darkness. And the deception now is to try to become acceptable and like the world, but when we do, we lose our saltiness and we stop being a clear light. We become a haze. You know, like when the sun's first coming up in the morning? You know, it's not up yet but it's starting to begin to get a little light, that's not the kind of light he's talking about. It's light in darkness. Did you ever notice that the salt overcomes the blandness? And light overcomes darkness? And you've heard me say this before. Darkness is just the absence of light. Light. 
because you have a light switch. You don't have a dark switch. The darkness comes when you turn the light off. You don't have to then go turn the dark on because the dark leaves when the light comes on. Oh, 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 oh. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness. That's why we're here. To bear witness of the light that all through him might believe or see. He was not the light or the source of the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Talking about Jesus. And the world did not know him. He came unto his own, and his own received him, did not receive him, but as through many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of flesh, but of the will of God. Oh, I missed it. Uh, nor the, but of God. I'll go back to I missed it. Back, this is what I'm looking at. Just start in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. That word comprehend means overcome or overtake it. The light of the world that we are is his light in us shining out. And John says of that light, the darkness could not overtake the light, but the light overtakes the darkness. Now there's an exception to that back in Matthew 5. Verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Notice that. It can't be hidden. It doesn't matter what the darkness tries to do, it cannot hide the light set on a hill. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. The only way that light can get overcome by darkness is if we cover it up with a basket. If we hide it in the safety and security of our blue seat. If we hide it in the safety and the security of our comfort zone. If we hide it in the safety and security of what makes me feel safe and secure and happy. If we'll not hide it, it will bring light into darkness around us. You, and I mean me too, we are the light, think about that, of the world. So every time you see a news story and you think, oh, can it get any worse? Oh my goodness. Realize, that's darkness coming in. And then realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't get overwhelmed by the darkness. 
Don't keep staring at the darkness. Look at the light. Look at the light. Look at the light. It's what the enemy wants you doing. Going around, oh, just like Chicken Little. Oh, oh my goodness. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Did you hear what's on CNN? It's getting worse. Did you hear what happened in the Middle East today? It's getting worse. Oh, oh you'll find whatever her name is, you know. You'll get Henny, whatever her name is. Somebody else coming along. Oh, you're right. Oh, my goodness. Then go tell somebody else. That's what the church is doing today. Until pretty soon, you'll get in such hysteria that Foxy Loxy comes along and says, Ah, I have the answer. Come follow me. The only way we'll not follow Foxy Loxy, the only way we'll not become overcome by this is to accept why we're here. Yes, God will take care of us. He will. The, the pattern is always He took care. He's taking care of His people. But He always calls His people to do what He's asked them to take care of also. He'll take care of us, but we're called to take care of His business. So the, the best way through the difficult time is to, take the, is to take the throttle and the very thing it doesn't feel like you can do, begin to increase the speed because that's going to increase the anointing and the flow and it's going to give you better direction. And a better, and, but it's the last thing it feels like it's going to do. And that's why you've got to go back and renew your mind to the Word. It doesn't matter what the world looks like. It doesn't matter what happens in the world. I'm here for such a time as this. I, looking in the mirror, you, the guy in the mirror, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the darkness that's around you today. People go at work say, oh, isn't it terrible? You are light in that situation. But if we're hidden under a basket, they've got light in your office, but they can't see it, because it's hidden under your wastebasket. And the enemy wants to intimidate us and threaten us. And the only way he can intimidate us is if we see ourselves separated from the source of the light. And that's why the Spirit of God is in you. Romans 8.11 If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. There's only one Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you've got the same Spirit in you. If you're filled with the Spirit, you've got the same Spirit in you that raised Christ from the dead. Why should the world intimidate us? And you know why it does? Because too often we fight the world with the world's own weapons. We try to fight back with our flesh. We get mad. We get fighting mad. We get standing on our rights and all that stuff. Jesus didn't do that. He prayed. I heard something the other day. Well, I better not get into it. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into it now. Yes, Lord. Prayer. The Soviet Union was brought down by prayer. 
World War II was ended. I know all kinds of things happened, but there are kinds of things that happened that shouldn't have happened. It was prayer. I've read the story of a group of people in England that prayed through the Battle of Britain. Prayer, 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 prayer. The one thing the church in the United States doesn't do, we're good at everything else, but prayer, prayer, corporate prayer. Well, we're going to have to get good at it. We're not going to have a choice. We're going to have to become good at it. Well, we need to end here. We're going to begin to look at different things about what it means to live a separated life, why we're called to live a separated life, that the only place of peace in this world is living a separated life. We're going to talk about what a separated life means. It doesn't mean you go hide on top of a mountain in a monastery. That's easier than what we're called to do. And we're going to look at why it's crucial, critical, that we learn to live a separated life. And then we're going to learn how to do that. And God's laid out a way for us to do it. But we need to begin by understanding. If you don't understand that that's what we're called to do, we're called to be different from the world, not like the world. If you don't understand that, you'll be wooed because your flesh wants to go that way. You'll be wooed into that because there's enough of it in the church out there that's trying to woo us in the church, let alone outside of the church. Let's pray. Father, tonight we began to look at some difficult things, but it's the truth. It's right out of your word. It's what Jesus taught. Father, as we look at the church today, and there are many good things going on, but we're not yet the light of the world, but it's what we're called to be. Help us in the times that we live in right now. And I'm praying right now, Father, for this church right now. Help us at Faith Christian Center to begin to recognize our call. To recognize the call that you have given to us. The purpose for which you have put us here. The purpose for our individual lives. That your kingdom may come and that your will may be done through us as we learn how to be salt and light to a tasteless and dark world that so desperately needs you, so desperately needs you. And we are the vehicle, the means by which you want to bring that light and that taste into this world. Father, as we begin to look at this, help us by the Spirit of God inside of us to begin to work in our lives. Help us to see scriptures. Begin to build in our own understanding, Lord, so that we can renew our mind to what your word says about us. In Jesus' name, amen.